principles, I like knowing where the line is. And there are other people, like Lucas, who does not love rules. He loves to know how far over the line you can walk before you get caught by Rick. Rules. We love them or we hate them. And I came across a few this week that even me being a rule lover just can't bring myself to obey. Here you go. If you cut down a cactus in Arizona, you could be sentenced to 25 years in prison. Yeah. If you go to Arizona, don't cut down a cactus. Policemen can bite a dog in Paulding, Ohio, if they think it will calm the dog down. It's against the law to sing off-key in North Carolina. (laughs) In Indiana, it's illegal to attend a public event or use public transportation within four hours of eating an onion or garlic. Some of us would be like, absolutely, please. In Washington, Rick, you're going to love this one. A motorist with criminal intentions must stop at the city limits and telephone the chief of police as he's entering the town. I just want to go there and be like, does that work? Does any criminal actually go, yeah, this is the one law I'm going to follow to let you know I'm coming. If you have a mustache... It's illegal to kiss a woman in Eureka, Nevada. Amen. I love that one. And then it's against the law for a woman to drive a car on Main Street unless her husband is walking in front of the car waving a red flag (laughs) in Waynesboro, Virginia. And I kind of want to know the backstory to that one, right? (laughs) Like, what happens that, caution, my wife is coming. Well, those are pretty ridiculous, but they are actually still in effect in those cities and states. And this morning, as we continue our journey through the book of Colossians, we are going to come to a point in Scripture that can seem pretty ridiculous from the outside looking in. As part of the church is asking another part of the church to follow some rules that just don't make any sense. And the Jewish Christians, those who came out of the Jewish culture, are imposing some thoughts on the Gentile Christians that would marry following the law with following Jesus. They're saying those should be the same thing. But here's the reality. Rules for the sake of rules, they lead to failure, shame, and hiding. But rules for the sake of relationship those lead to community and maturity. Let me say that again. Rules, for the sake of rules, those lead to failure, shame, and hiding. Those are ones we just can't live up to. There's no good reason why. And they force us to plaster a mask on our face while we're dying inwardly to be accepted. But rules for the sake of relationship Rules that come out of a heart change, those lead to community and maturity. So let's flip in our Bibles to Colossians 2, 11 to 15. And if you, I had to do a little song in my head. 
for a second, got lost. If you do not have a Bible, we would love to get one in your hands. We just had a whole order come in of some um, Bibles, and it's our delight to get those out to people. But for this moment, if you don't have your Bible with you and you have a smart device, there's a fantastic Bible app called the U Version, Y-O-U Version Bible app that you can download for free and follow along with us because it will not be up on the screens. So your Bible is with you at home, but our PowerPoints are not. So Colossians 2, 11 to 14. In him, you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your sinful nature was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge, our, our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. Let's pray. God, we understand that just how this life works, there's a best way to live. There are best practices, and you lay them out for us. And this morning, as we look into this tension that's happening in this church, would you open our eyes to some of those same tensions that we face? Taking the role as both the Jewish brother and the Gentile. And would you help us always just to come back to you? Now as we dig into this, God, always, would you just allow anything that's birthed in my flesh just to float away before you've been spoken? Because you, Spirit of Truth, are the one who brings life change. And I so greatly desire that only your words would go forth this morning. In your precious name, amen. So the church in Colossae was caught in this tension the Jewish believers believed that Jesus had come to fulfill the law. They were partly right. But that we still had a responsibility to obey the law, to carry it all out. Now, who has actually read through the whole book of Leviticus? Right? Like, this is the one you read at bedtime. Because it is so tedious and so repetitive and ridiculous. Like, looking from this 21st century life back then, some of the things that they're being asked to do, best practices back in the day, just seem so mind-boggling to us. And these are what the Jewish believers are looking at their Gentile brothers and sisters and saying, here's what you need to do. You need to follow all of this. And the hot-button topic right now is circumcision. What they were saying is, we're the people of God, and Jesus was one of us, and if Jesus lived this way, and if we as God's people lived this way, then you must do the same. And Paul's looking at them going, whoa, 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 hold up a second. See, the Jews were holding fast to Genesis 17, 10, where God speaks to Abraham and says, this is my covenant with you 
and your descendants after you, the covenant you are to keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. And they're saying, hey, this is, this is how we know who is God's people and who's not God's people. Like, come on, step up to the plate. Let's do this thing. And it highlighted this deeper belief among the Jewish people that circumcision was a defining act. It defined who they were as individuals, and it defined their relationship with God. And I promise we're not going to talk about circumcision the whole time. I could see some of you squirming, especially our young boys over there. Sorry. Actually, Lucas and I had this conversation, like, why did you make the girl talk about circumcision? We should have flipped some of these verses here. But William Barclay puts it this way, talking about circumcision. He says, all through the history of Israel, there had been two different views of circumcision. There was the view of those who said that in itself, it was enough to put a man right with God. It did not matter whether an Israelite was a good man or a bad man. All that mattered was that he was an Israelite and that he had been circumcised. But the great spiritual leaders of Israel and the great prophets took a different view. They insisted that circumcision was only the outward mark of a man who was inwardly dedicated to God. And they used the very word in an adventurous sense. They talked of uncircumcised lips, of a heart which was circumcised or uncircumcised, of the uncircumcised ear. To them, being circumcised did not mean having a certain operation carried out on a man's flesh, but having a change affected in his life. And so the deeper issue here, it wasn't what was happening outwardly. The deeper issue, the tension that was really being had, the fight, was do our actions define our heart or does our heart define our actions? Which one is it? And if we go at it from that view, that it's really not about what happened to you bodily, but do our actions define our heart, or does our heart define our actions, then I think we could all go, actually, we still have that fight. We're still living in that tension. We're still arguing about those things. Like, think of the last time you saw a pastor, in, usually in the States, or someone who professes faith verbally mess up big time in the news. Right? Like there's this feeling of like, oh, why did you do that? Why isn't your outward expression living up to what you're just saying? Think of some of the hot button topics that we've had for the last hundred years. What do we wear to church? Do we go to the movie theater? Are we allowed to drink alcohol? Can a girl wear makeup? We have thought about circumcision in different words in the 21st century church, just like they did in Colossae. But if rules for the sake of rules lead to failure, shame, and hiding, but rules for the sake of relationship lead to community and maturity, what, did you, what do we do with this tension that we should look different? What do we do with this tension that from the outside looking in, there absolutely must be something different about the life of a believer because Jesus changes everything? What do we do with this? 
And it's the tension. And we have to really figure out how we're going to manage it well because rules for the sake of rules lead to failure, shame, and hiding. But rules for the sake of relationship lead to community and maturity, so the rules aren't necessarily the problem. And what's the responsibility of each of us corporately and personally? So first, let's look at what we do as a church. And corporately, I would say our responsibility is to celebrate and model. To celebrate and model. In Colossians 2.11, it says, In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. By who? God. It's not a truth that we like to let ourselves feel sometimes. God does the work. Lisa Mitchell butts out. Because I don't know about you, but I have been very tempted and given in many times to give God a hand. Right? Like, Lord... This is going really slow. Let me help you. I'm just going to speak for you into this situation and tell the people what you're saying, even though I'm not actually hearing you. And if I am really brutally honest with myself, and probably if you are with yourselves too, I can be really quick to fall into a trap of working out a 21st century law. We have our own unwritten rules of thou shalt and thou shalt nots. That maybe in a hundred years, people are going to go, wow, that was ridiculous. Thou shalt not eat before everyone holds hands and says grace. Principle of prayer and thanksgiving, fantastic. Rule, yeah. Thou shalt attend every event the church puts on, whether it's relevant to me or not. Principle of community, fantastic. Rule. And we have done this. We've created our own list of thou shalt and thou shalt nots that lead to failure, shame, and hiding because they are just as unattainable as the first law was. They're just packaged in different words and in different rhetoric. And it's bad enough when I do it to myself, right? Because most of the time it's us going, I should look this way. I should act this way. I should think this way. I should make sure that I put on makeup before I come to church so that people don't think that I'm just exhausted. I should, I should, I should. And sometimes I just imagine that Jesus is standing there going like, yeah, why are we doing this again? I didn't, I didn't ask you to do that. Like, Why? Why are we doing this again? And it's bad enough when I do it to myself, but you know, it's worse. It's worse when I come along, that brand new Christian, and I say, and here's what you need to do. Put your hands out, I'm going to give you the book. And now what was a moment of joy and life, what was a moment of celebration becomes a moment of dread, and what did I get 
myself into. I can't do this. They were never meant to do it. Kaylee is the cleanest person in our family. That's surprising because she's almost 13. But truly, her room is always clean. And I hate cleaning, so my room is not uh, ever. And so all of you other people out there who just are like, man, I should be a better adult, it's okay. Just be real together. So Kaylee is super clean, um, and she also has this uncanny knack to kind of know what people need before they even know that they need it. And so like, I'll be in the middle of reading maybe a stressful email, and I'll look up, and she's already made me a coffee. And she's like brought it over and gives me a hug. It's like, Mom, I love you. Like, she just has this ability to just listen to God well and to know. And it's been a pretty stressful season, uh, just getting everything ready for the AGM, and that means more work, and it's okay, but it's stressful. And so a lot of times this last month and a bit, we come home and she's cleaned our kitchen. Bonus. Like, this is amazing. And right now, that is a beautiful, precious gift. You know what? Three years ago, it sucked. It was a horrible gift. So you'd get home and, like, she'd use some weird bleach cleaner on something, and you're like, oh, why did you want to help me out? Right? Like, undoing your help is going to take me two to three times longer than if I had just done it myself and not received the help in the first place. And what we need to grapple with is those who have been following Jesus for a long time is the fact that when someone comes to faith in him, he begins a very systematic and thorough process of walking that person to healing and wholeness and holiness And oftentimes, our wanting to help actually just extends their journey. And it takes God two to three times longer to undo our wanting to help than it would have for him to just do what he's supposed to do in the first place. Because every single one of us is different. My sin issues are not necessarily going to be your sin issues. My brokenness and the wounds that I've taken over the course of my life are not going to be yours. And so it makes zero sense to think that my step one in coming to Jesus is going to be your step one. And my step 17 might be someone's step four, but it might be another person's step 48. And what we really like to do is we like to funnel people into this cookie-cutter, one-size-fits-all Christianity of you have to do this now, and this a month after you come to Jesus, and this a month later, and this a month later, and he's saying, hold up. I know you intimately and individually, and I know exactly what you need to work on today. 
and tomorrow and a week from now. So let me do my job. Step back. And oftentimes when we try to help, all we're actually doing, let's be really honest, is saying, this is how I think a Christian looks and acts and talks. Oftentimes the rules that we place on people for the sake of rules are actually for the sake of us. I am uncomfortable with this behavior. I don't like And they're not for the good of the person. They're for the good of ourself. And that never works. The law didn't work the first time. It's not going to work now. Matthew Henry wrote this, that, and the that is trying to make the Gentiles fit into the Jewish law. That was imperfect and defective. If the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been, sorry, this is in like old English and weird word phrasing. There would no place have been sought for the second. And the law was but a shadow of good things and could never by those sacrifices make the comers thereunto perfect. But All the defects of it are made up in the gospel of Christ by the complete sacrifice for sin and revelation of the will of God. We need to be the, we need to stop being the kids who try to help and muck it up and instead become fellow journeyers who celebrate every step big and small, and come alongside and champion and cheerlead one another. Because rules for the sake of rules lead to failure, shame, and hiding, but rules for the sake of relationship lead to community and maturity. And if we want to be a safe place for everyone to explore faith in Jesus, encounter his love, and look more and more like him, like Jesus, not like Lisa Mitchell every day, then we're going to need to let God be God. We're going to let dad be dad. And we're just going to be the brothers and sisters who realize we're still kids too. We're still walking to maturity too. So we celebrate. But in that realization that we're still kids too, there's a personal responsibility to model what it looks like to follow well. And I'm so glad we're here because the whole time my inner rule follower is going, stop it. We can't just say we're Christians and then live the same. It doesn't work that way. There has to be something to do. There has to be something that's different. There has to be a change. Inner dialogue, yes, there is. If you are a rules follower, you're like, phew. Oh, thank you. Because it's true, there's a tension here. Let's go back to those verses in Colossians. In him, you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. 
Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness which stood against us and condemned us. There's a dying to ourself and a putting off of sin that happens here. Like, I love it that Paul is like, like in refereeing a fight, right? Like, so he's looking at the Jewish brothers and sisters saying, stop it. And then in the same breath, turning his head to the Gentile brothers and sisters and saying, live it out. Like, you're both kind of in the wrong here. You need to chill and you need to step up. Come on, you're both wrong. Now, many of you know that I grew up as a pastor's kid. And if you don't, I did. And in the PAOC, they do a really good job of taking care of us as pastors, but they do a really good job also of taking care of our families. And I grew up in Alberta, and they did a really, really good job of this. And so on top of all the normal things like camp and district conference and all of that, they would put on a retreat every spring just for teenager pastor's kids because, right, we need extra prayer and Jesus moments for our teenagers. Especially when they're carrying some really deep wounds by church people who sometimes aren't very wise. And so for this couple days every year, we would get together all of these pastor's kids from the entire province of Alberta. And I'm going to tell you, we all knew how to do church really well. Like, really well. We were probably teaching Sunday school and on youth group leadership teams and on worship and in the front row of the church because that's what a good pastor's kid does. They model the way. And we were really good at it until we got to those retreats. And then the masks came off. People were just like, I hate church. I hate it. Every fiber of my being, I hate it. And I don't know that I really love God either. And these kids who could do absolutely everything perfectly for 51 weeks out of the year, would get a loan and the mask would come off and you'd realize that they had just been incredible at following rules. And now as an adult, I look at that group of us and a third of us, God never actually got to our heart and healed the wounds and they have completely walked away from faith. Because rules for the sake of rules lead to failure and shame and hiding. And it might seem like the same thing. Like if we want honest people, we just teach our kids to be honest. Guess what? It doesn't work that way. If we want it to be sustainable and lasting, 
we want our kids to be honest, then we need to go back to the heart of God and say, God is a God of truth, and he's never going to lie to you. And as we spend time just reflecting in our own lives the heart of truth of God, and as we point out the places where lies and sin and deceit actually corrodes relationship and trust and starts to eat away at people and they see the difference between what someone who loves Jesus and reflects honesty and someone who just speaks and spews deceit and harm, what are they going to become? Honest. But they're going to be honest because Jesus changed their heart, not because they need to wear it like a coat that can be on sometimes and unzipped and taken off others. Church, we need to try not to fast forward our Christian faith by running after the outcome instead of running after the Redeemer. Because when we spend time with people, right? I was in Bible college. We had a house full of 14 girls from all over North America. It was amazing. After a year, I picked up accents on some words. I still have them, right? There's something amazing that happens to our brain when we spend time with people. We had a friend here for the Digital Natives seminar, and he asked us a question, and at some, one point, Lucas and I actually answered, and our words were in sync with each other, and we said the exact same sentence. That's what happens when you spend time with someone. And so can we trust that if we are spending time with God, that he is going to rub off on us in such a way that our actions look like his actions and our words sound like his words and our heart breaks for the things that break his heart? Can we trust him to be God? But we have a responsibility to actually spend that time. We have a responsibility to come before him as do our actions define our heart or does our heart define our actions they probably are going to look the same but I would rather have a messy church with people progressing slower than I want and know that God is changing their heart than a church that looks perfect, but it's full of hurting people who feel like they're never measuring, measuring up and come with masks on. Wouldn't you? In him, you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your sinful nature was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. 
When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. William Barclay says in these vivid pictures, Paul sets out the total adequacy of the work of Christ. Sin is forgiven and evil is conquered. What more is necessary? Not a list not rules, but a constant seeking of Jesus and allowing him to rub off on us, allowing our heart to be changed rather than just our behavior. The end goal for both are going to be so similar, but one is sustainable, just one, because one can be faked and the other can't. We're going to ask our worship team to come forward. But let's be a people of personal righteousness. Asking God, like, what's my next step? Or would you search me and know me? Would you test me? Would you actually start working on those places of brokenness within me? because my goal is to look more and more like you. By the end of my life, I want to be so much more you than I was me. Let's also be a people who celebrate well, big steps and little ones, slow steps and fast ones, because we want community and maturity we're going to pray, and then we're just going to worship, but just a reminder before we do that, that if you are part of the Evangel family and you have muscles, that's not saying that only guys can do this job. Girls, we can do it too. Then the missions team would greatly appreciate your help in getting some tables set up for the Soup and a Bun fundraiser right after church. God, would you forgive us? For those times when we run ahead of you and we decide in our immaturity that you need help, that you're not capable somehow. Would you forgive us for making relationship with you about rules and regulations? that somehow a perfect exterior tells us what's in the heart. Because God, we know that that's not true. You said you don't look on the exterior. Man looks on the exterior. But you see the core. You see our motivations. You see our thought patterns. That's where true righteousness is. Inward not outward. So would you help us to be people of inward righteousness? 
Would you help us to be people who are quick to seek you, who desire to spend time with you? That you would rub off on us. But would you also help us to be a church family where progression and not perfection is sought? Would you help us to be a church family where we can be honest in our struggles, we can be honest in our pain, we can be honest in our fear and in our doubts? Would you help each one of us to be a safe place so corporately we can be a safe place? Because what I see modeled from you is that when someone came to you with their sin and their hurt and their brokenness, you bent. You came near. You leaned in. Not with expectations and shame and guilt, but with healing and forgiveness and grace. And if we want to be people of inward righteousness, then we will be people who outwardly reflect you well. So would you help that, that change to start with one? Would you help that start with me? Would you help that start with each of us? That Powell River and beyond would know you in your precious name.